Hey, I'm Dr. Laura Berman, a sex and relationship therapist. And for the past three decades, I've been helping people learn how to love and be loved better. That's what we're doing here on The Language of Love, where I get to answer calls and emails from people just like you. My goal with The Language of Love is to help you discover more meaningful, emotional, and physical intimacy, and to help you build more awareness of how precious and sacred your sexuality really is. Be sure to email me or reach out with your very own love-sex relationship questions, and I might just answer them live on the air. It's time we all become fluent in the language of love. Our guest this week says, grief, even the worst kind, becomes creation through the stories we tell. And full disclosure, Sarah D. Little is an old friend of mine. Say hello, Sarah. Hi, everybody. I actually first got to know Sarah through a mutual dear friend of ours, And she was helping my oldest son, who's now 25. In particular, she wasn't really helping with with college applications, but with his college essays. And the way that you were able to coax, inspire, tickle, whatever (laughs) it took, expression out of him was really magical. And one of the things that's been apparent from as long as I've known you is what a beautiful and and passionate writer you are. But what I didn't know until more recently, which is what I really wanted to share with everyone today, is your backstory. I mean, Lord knows and everybody knows the kind of shit storm I've lived through at least over the past year. And we all have these AFGEs, as I call them, another fucking growth experience after another that break us open and break us apart. And what I am most interested in is not only helping to support people through those things, but as and more importantly, and this is where you come in, Sarah, is to help people understand that there's nothing we can't live through, survive, but more importantly, thrive through. And I think the vein of this that is so beautiful that that I'm going to have you share with us in this episode of The Language of Love is the way in which creativity, and for you in particular, writing for someone else, it may be something else, but how that creative expression is fueled from that pain. So I'm really excited to talk to you about this. But first, if if it's okay, I want to just share a little bit of, you know, what you call your origin story. Is that okay? Yes, of course. The origin story for love letters or the origin story. Okay. The origin story. Is that there's probably lots of origin stories. There's so many. There's so many. Everybody's an origin story. My goodness. Right. All of them steeped in grief and nightmares. And so it's so, it's exciting to talk about each of them. And then also, as you say, to talk about the ways in which I coped with all of these and made it through and didn't just make it through, but as you say, thrived into it Yes, through the act of creation. And for me, it was writing. And for other people, it will be other mediums. But for me, it was the written word. So, And just so you know, Sarah has a YouTube channel called Love Letters from Sarah. And, we're, and, and this is the origin story of that. Okay, so I'm just going to read parts of this. After Derek, it was her long, long term boyfriend, life partner. After Derek left me and I knew I was going to lose my house in Charlevoix, I sank into a terrifying abyss. One night I sat sobbing and screaming in my bedroom with a loaded gun pressed to my head. 
My stomach sank when I read that, by the way. But I thought of the legacy of suicide that already marked my family. And I thought of my parents and the people who love me and I couldn't pull the trigger. She goes on to talk about how the next morning she was numb, watching the birds out the window. And she suddenly thought of these images that passed through her mind from when she first read Cormac McCarthy's The Crossing more than 20 years ago. And she goes on to say that all these images were coming through these collages of images, sentences, moments, and snippets as I wrote these things down. I became filled with a pure sense of joy as if golden light suffused my body. Now, we're going to come back to that because this is one of the keys of the evolution of healing from grief is that there is a transcendence that comes as you start to tap into your healing. And then she goes on to say, in the following days that followed, she wrote a love letter. So this led her to write a love letter to Cormac McCarthy, because what had happened is you'd written, you started madly writing down all these things you could remember everything from every book he'd ever written that I had read, that these images and thoughts and sentences and snippets, they'd all lodged themselves into my soul and into my heart for my entire life. I mean, this man, these books and all the people to whom I wrote love letters, but they had raised me, forged me, formed me as much as my parents and my best friends had, even though I had never met them. They had raised me and altered my perspective of the world and myself and my place in the world through the works of genius that they had created. And those works of genius lived inside me forever. Which I think is so amazing because for someone like me who loves to read, and I like to write, but I don't write. I love to read creative uh, novels and things like that, but I, I'm not a novel. I've never written a novel. I'm too scared to, but I have the worst memory. I can remember plots, but I cannot remember, but because this is something that words and playing with words and the history of words is something that is so fundamental to who you are. I just think so cool because that's what we remember. Right. So because for Sarah writing has always been such a huge part of who she is, of who you are. Right. That it makes sense to me that you were remembering all of that and you wrote and then decided to film yourself reading (laughs) love letter to Cormac McCarthy. Exactly. So I finished that first one for Cormac and all those word collages. And then I made them into sentences and then into paragraphs. And then that became my very first love letter. And I wandered around my freaking empty house by myself, alone, sober, by the way reading this love letter out loud to myself over and over and over again. And I got giddy and euphoric. And I kept saying out loud, thank you, Cormac McCarthy. Thank you. Because the writing of and the reading of that love letter, it wasn't just a a wild appreciation of Cormac McCarthy. It reminded me of the essence of who I was and what it was like then to write and to act and to speak from a pure place of love. The evening before, I had been steeped in utter anguish. I didn't want to be alive anymore. 12 hours. You had a gun to your head. I put a gun to my actual head. Have you ever done that before, Sarah? I've never done that before. I no. I have, I have lived most of my life with one foot in the abyss, for sure. Yeah. I've always flirted. Many with of us have, but to get that point of despair, that is a serious dark night of the soul. It was a serious dark night of the soul. And I had no belief that I would ever find my way out and that I would find my way out the very next morning 
because of Cormac McCarthy? I mean, come on. I love Cormac McCarthy. God bless him. But who thinks of him as a, as a life savior? But it makes perfect sense. And, and not, you know, someone else, I I think the thing I want to highlight for you listening to this is that, you know, first of all, it doesn't happen for everyone that the next day they have this epiphany, right? But there is a moment, these angels are all around us, right? It might be a, a book reread or a person yes. we meet at the supermarket the next day or a child we see playing in a park or like something starts to happen if we're open to that. Yes. And often we're not open to that until we completely break open. Exactly. I mean, you've always been someone as long as I've known you who has been spiritually attuned and seeking joy and meaning and everything. And yes, you know, like the rest of us, you have your demons and your struggles like we all do, but often it's that fucking growth experience. It's that horrible thing that happens that not only breaks us open and part of what happens. And I think this is really important to mention too. And you allude to this in your origin story is that you have a legacy of suicide in your family, right? So I also feel when I read that, I just saw these women standing behind you as you had that gun to your head, because I know that when you were 15, you had a tra- Tell us about what happened in your family. I, I shall. I, I wrote it down, in fact, just to make sure that I didn't forget the two dates um, that my mother and sisters had killed themselves. So when I was 15, my mother's two younger sisters, Pat and Joy, shot and killed themselves within a month of each other. Joy shot herself on February 18th, and Pat shot herself on March 11th. Oh, my gosh. Their father, my grandfather, had sexually, physically, and emotionally abused his daughters for years. My grandfather's brother had also committed suicide, and my grandfather's father died in an insane asylum in North Carolina. My My mother has always contended um, with depression and anxiety. And I often joke that depression, despair, anxiety, anguish, all of these things have been my best friends and constant companions literally for as long as I can remember. So the history in my family feels like an incredibly dark legacy. And I sometimes think about it as a poison in my blood that it's going to take me down, that one day it's going to claim me. But I don't think it's going to now. And it's interesting that it took, I lived through what happened when I was 15. And so did my mother. She and I are both survivors. And we've both had incredible bouts with despair. And we struggle with it daily. But we're both still here. And we've both made communities. And we both make art. And we both write. And we both have love in our lives and friendships. And that feels like a profound win. That's a huge win. I mean, just the fact that your mother, much less you, yeah. survived this. And are you an only child? I am. Yeah. That's even harder in some ways because you're holding the generational trauma yourself. All of it. Like it all comes down to me. And it all comes down to you in that moment, holding a gun to your head. Exactly. At that moment, I was hopeless. Everything I loved was gone. Yeah. Derek was gone. The house was gone. Everything that I wanted and I thought that I had and had worked so hard for, I thought I would get to keep that and die in that house with the love of my life. And I was 97. I saw it so clearly in my life. Yeah. I remember when you got that house, Charlevoix, Wisconsin, right? Michigan. Michigan. I get them all confused. Okay. Charlevoix, Michigan. And it was like your dream house with the gardens and, and the art installations and your partner of how many years? 
Nine years. Nine years. This, this guy that seemed, you know, that like the sun and moon set on you. And he turned, I mean, we don't want to disparage him, but he turned out to have been having a his separate relationship and he left. He left me. Uh, he left me for a woman that I knew after having an affair with her and lying to me about it. So there was that humiliation on top of humiliation on top of everything else. And you had to leave the house because you couldn't afford to keep it alone. I couldn't afford to keep it alone. And I also couldn't manage it alone. Yeah. It was a four acre yard <laughs> that, that we had landscaped into these glorious flower installations, beautiful walking paths. And I mean, that house was my comfort, my solace, my joy, my place of safety from the storm of the world and, and from the storm in my own mind. And, and, and it was, was just taken away. gone. <laughs> That's such a metaphor because also, even though it was all of those things, it was outside of you. Right. Exactly. All of the, th- I mean, it was, all of it was an, was an outside representation of everything that I thought that I loved and wanted. So the house and the grounds and Derek himself. I mean, all of it. Yeah. The man in the white picket fence, sort yes. of. Yes. <laughs> Damn it. I really wanted that, Laura. Really did. And then it just in one fell swoop, just gone. And what I was left with then was that horrifying abyss and pure hopelessness because all the things outside of me that I did love and that, but that I counted on to make me feel loved and worthy were all gone. And what saved me the next day, which I still can't quite get over that it happened so quickly, is everything that resided inside myself. All of those things inside of me saved me. All of the works of literature and beauty that I had internalized through the years and that brought me so much strength, my own gratitude and appreciation for these things welled up from inside my own facility with writing. And, and I don't even want to call it facility. I'll just it is a facility. It's a gift. Passion. Love for. And so the night before I wanted to take my life and the next day, because of Cormac McCarthy's freaking sentence, and then because of the love letter that I wrote as a result of that, and then because of all of the other love letters that I wrote as a result of that, and then because of the YouTube channel that I made as a result of that, all of that was internally based. It all sprung from a wellspring inside of myself that I was actually unaware that I possessed at that point. And how would you describe that love spring? What did you discover was there that you didn't know was there before? Literally all the strength in the world, the strength and the golden light of love. I keep having emails that come in. I'm just going to ignore that and turn down the volume. Um, The golden light of celestial appreciation and gratitude, I didn't realize lived inside of me, but it does. And it's made of strength. It looks like gold and is made of steel. And a profound desire to live lived inside of me, which I was completely unaware of that previous evening. Yeah. And the thing that made me access that full desire to live was by lauding, appreciating, and showing gratitude for the lives of others. So I took my gaze of anguish off myself and off everything that had fallen to ruin around me. And I turned that gaze instead inward and focused on the things that I was profoundly grateful for and then lauded those things loudly (laughs) and with great plea and euphoria. And then I made a YouTube channel dedicated to love and appreciation for these people. And because of that, 
I mean, okay, my life did not heal instantly. Right. Obviously. I mean, I still I still have horrific nights of a soul where I'm just like, what the hell am I doing here? <laughs> what, what am I doing with my life and who am I and who do I think I am? And all of that. But the writing of those love letters, and the making of that YouTube channel and the accessing of all the internal strength that, that I had and the ways in which I resonated with these divine works of art and the strength that that gave me, all of that coalesced in such a way as to remind me that, that my life is worthy and beautiful, if only for the resonance that my life has with the lives of others. So that, that unity. Say that again. Say that again. Say that again. My life is not worthy if only through the resonance um, with the lives of others and with the beauty that they have created. I'm not standing alone. My ascension and my plummeting, those are not mine alone. They belong to all of us collectively. And we're all going through it and you're not alone. Right? I'm not your alone. solace and your support is not found in those beautiful gardens. It's found it in the garden inside you. In the garden inside of me, it turns out. And it's cultivated and seeded by all the beautiful geniuses of all the wonderful things you hold. Thank you, beautiful geniuses. Yes. And, I, and I, Laura, what you just said reminded me of a thing. It's a little off topic, but it's in my mind. I want to just say it. So for years, my mother had a sign-off quote on her emails, and it was, be kind, or everyone you meet is fighting a harder battle. Yeah. And that is a wisdom born of anguish. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Because you look at other people, and you, would you look at me and guess that I'm suffering profoundly ever? No, no, that's, the, well, God help social media is that on steroids, right? All lost in the veneer. And we spend so much of our time attempting to hide our tears, our anguish, our frailty, our quote unquote weaknesses. When in fact, if we would just share them and show them, then we would honor them, strengthen them, and then embrace like the grand collective of human anger, which isn't a weakness, it's a strength because it breeds collective compassion. It does. And, you know, I, one of the teachers that I love so much is a Buddhist monk named Pema Chodron. She's really about death, but also loss and grief. And she has all of these beautiful prayers. And so much of the fundamental basis of all of them is as you're in your pain and anguish or your loss or your sadness, part of the prayer is honoring and connecting to all the millions of others who in this very now moment are feeling what you feel and are in the same state of pain or anguish. And that connection to humanity and our collective pain is not intended to wallow there with everyone as in misery loves company, no. but in that you're not alone. And there's so much beauty in that pain as well. Which is so much beauty in that shared anguish. And that writing of that first Cormac McCarthy, the writing that came to you first spoke to that, right? I'm assuming that those quotes. Yes. Can I read that quote out loud? Yeah, go ahead. I have it. So this is my favorite one. Like he's written a million books and they're all grand and glorious. But this quote, this one always sticks with me. The dog tottered away up the road in the rain on its stricken legs. And as it did, it howled again and again in its heart's despair until it was gone from all sight 
and all sound in the night's onset. And if that's not human grief, yeah, loneliness and the anguish and sorrow, wandering <laughs> off, crippling, right. you know, like crippling walk, and right, all of it in the rain on. and the strickenness and the crippledness and the disappearing into the night until you're gone from all sight and all sound. Feel seen and understood and yes. to. Yes. And the, the thing that, that you were just talking about really struck me and, and resonated. Can I, can I say a thing that I often think about that's a little bit irreverent, but is, is related to the thing that you just said? So I know, I'm sure you're familiar with that. Like there was a movement years ago. I can't remember when, when, when women was sort of stripped down naked and then write words of strength on their bodies, like courage and strength. And okay. And I love that. That's great. That's amazing. That's not for me. That is not what I do. The thing that I've always wanted to do and the thing that I think would be much more interesting and much more collective and much more comforting for all of us would be to um, cover ourselves in post-it notes on which we had written clearly and unapologetically all of the emotional maladies that plague us. So yeah. like I would be covered in post-it notes. Mine would say like insecurity, generalized anxiety disorder, depression, despair, existential dread, catastrophist, <laughs> loves a good doom spiral, given to shame spirals, self-loathing and emotional eating. Hashtag I like cake. Like it would just be <laughs> all the things because it's not because I just think it would be such a lovely way for all of us to wear our shattered bits literally on our sleeves because we're so often taught to value only what is optimistic, only what is successful, only what is positive about ourselves and others. But there's so much value in the darkest parts. Yeah. And that's really what is more, to me, more aspirational. There's this movement going around social media and only not many people are doing it, but where they take pictures of the psychotropic meds they take (laughs) (laughs) and they're calm, you know, so you see Prozac or Zoloft or, you know, lithium or whatever, whatever because it's about claiming how perfectly imperfect we are. And one of the things that I love about what you're doing, and you write about this in your origin story of love letters, is you say that Our world speaks so often of the language of division and hatred and petty critique. And my love letters are the language of gratitude, deep appreciation, and a testament to the power of words to unshatter the person who writes them and bring joy to the people who receive them. I think that's so beautiful. Thank you, Laura. I want so much to grow this channel for that reason. I think about our world now. And I know it's very popular for everybody that lives in an era to say that their era is the absolute worst. (laughs) But I think we can all agree that we're living in an era of rabid division, warring factions, and insults are our common currency. And we snark at people for sport and we tear each other down as a form of amusement. And I can't stand it one more second. I mean, the tagline of my channel is because this world is too free with critique and too stingy with compliment. And I freaking mean that. And I think uh, if you've been alive on the planet for more than eight minutes, you're viscerally aware that the world is too free with critique and too stingy to compliment. And what I'd like to do is use this channel as some sort of impetus to knit us together through appreciation and words of gratitude for other human beings and the glory that they have made and the way that it has affected us and strengthened us and inspired us. You know what you should do? 
I'm just having, I love this idea so much, what you're doing, but I just had this thought that if you make a social media page for your, I don't know if you have yet for, if you want to find these, go to love letters from Sarah on YouTube, your YouTube channel, but you should make at, you know, a social media page for love letters from Sarah and let people post their own love letters too. Wouldn't that be good? Like let everybody post their love letters. That's, that's exactly what I want. I, I wrote this long plea in, um, in, in the letter that I, that I said to you about what I want this movement to be. Yeah. And it's actually incredibly hilarious that I would want to start a social media movement, a global social media movement, because because I'm not on social media. I'm not on it. I'm going to have to learn that the thing that I envision and the thing that I want so much would be something very much like that. I mean, I want every living human being on the earth, specifically now, it, as COVID is still around, waning, but not gone, as Ukraine is defending itself against the onslaught of a freaking despot. I mean, I want all of us, if we can, to write love letters in praise of some human being who has touched our life and enriched it. And I also said in that letter, I mean, post them on, on YouTube, do it on Instagram, do it on Twitter. Yeah. Do it on the comments on your channel. Yes, please. Like just all of it. And I also, it's really important to me that people know because writing is not everybody's medium, as you, as you said before. So some people will not garner the sense of elation and, and pure collective oneness that I get from, from writing. So a love letter need not be a letter at all. A love letter can be an act of generosity. It can be an act of pure kindness. It can be a rack a random act of kindness. It can, it can be, be a, a work of art. It can a be a work of art. Yeah. It can be literally anything. If you're if you're an artist, paint a painting, do a mural, create an installation, plant a flower, plant a flower, plant a tree. If you're a street artist, paint an entire blank alleyway with with the language of love and with words of appreciation. I just made a fairy house out of as an act of gratitude. You just did what? <laughs> I just made a fairy house. Yes. Fairy house. Laura, I, I support this action. I support this fully. I absolutely you know, do. I was feeling deep longing and appreciation for the one in me who used to see the fairies and for the fairies who are still there, but I haven't seen for 25 years. 35 years, 45 something years. So, um, so in an act to invite them back and also to express gratitude and also to connect to that part of me, I made a house. Did you make them a house? Yes, I did. (laughs) It's all covered in moss and very cute. I'll send you. Please send me a picture. And now that you've made them a house, they're definitely going to show up. They're there. I just haven't seen them, but now I'm going to see them. I'm going to see them. So they're yeah. going to be in the house and the same, like the same thing holds true. So you make the physical structure and then the ethereal beings come. Yes. So I want to build the physical structure with some sort of social media thing, which I don't know anything about, but I see it happening. And in the meantime, if anyone's listening and wants to help Sarah, let her know, but they should all go to your YouTube channel. It's called uh, love letters from Sarah, but also I want to talk for a second and get your wisdom. Cause as you were saying for every, you know, coming like, reaching into yourself during that darkness and that loss and that sadness, what would you say is like the first step? And it's not necessarily going to happen the next day or the next day. What's important to know is that it does get better, A. And B, what would be the first step to tapping into? Because fundamentally what we're tapping into is the immense well of human gratitude, not necessarily of like, 
I'm grateful because I have a car. And, you know, it's like, how would you describe the kind of gratitude that you're going for? I'm going to backtrack just a little bit and I'm going to, I'm going to answer this and I'm going to answer it by prefacing it with these statements. Okay. I want, I want to say to everyone that we share sorrow as much as we share joy. We share grief and loss as much as we share abundance. We share dread and fear and shame as much as we share sunny outlooks and healthy self-esteem. That anguish, amen, sister, that anguish is worthy of being felt without the cruelty of someone attempting to force a silver lining on you before you're ready to hear it or feel it. All right, wait, stop there. That's super important because yes. what we're talking about with gratitude is not like, oh, literally, you know, think on the, the bright side. Find the silver lining. and Oh my God. I want to murder people that say that to people who are going through anguish. I literally want to throttle them. <laughs> I, I wrote about that. I'll just continue reading. Yes, indeed. That like forcing somebody into a freaking silver lining before they're ready, that's just toxic positivity. And yes. that is mean spirited. It belittles people's pain by characterizing it as weak or unworthy, as if the silver lining and the sunning and the sunny character building lessons of pain were somehow more important, more acceptable than the pain itself. I freaking reject this notion utterly. Like silver linings have their place. Of course they do. But pain, humiliation, loss, grief, and every other difficult aspect of being alive deserves to be fully felt and fully honored. And only then can it be used as a place of connection with others, a connection that makes of our darkness light. We are all so tender. So feeling, so ready for tears, for love, for connection. And the most loving thing we can do is to share our tears and our sadness and the very things we try so valiantly to hide because by sharing them, we normalize them. And by normalizing them, we honor them. And by honoring them, we can make from sadness and vulnerability and shame something collectively soothing, something beautiful, something compassionate for all of us to hang on to. That's my rant. Beautiful. Yes. Share, normalize, honor, and then comes the soothing, right? And then comes the soothing, but you can't go directly from the shattering and the anguish to the golden glory of ascension through creation. Yes. I mean, it happened to me once (laughs) that I was utterly shattered and put a gun to my head. And the next day, Cormac McCarthy's sentence birthed this entire movement, hashtag love letters, that happened once where my shattering and my mending happened within the space of 13 hours. That is, that, that has not been true for, for the bulk of my life. That when my, when my mom's family was shattered, when I was 15 and I became shattered as a result of their shattering, I didn't get okay. And I still wasn't okay, but I didn't get even remotely okay until I was 27. And in those intervening years, Grief, loss, shame, self-loathing, self-hatred, you name it. Every dark poison filled me to the brim. It silenced me. It made me want to die all the time. All I wanted to do was I hide in a corner and weep and apologize for my very existence. And the thing that eventually got me out of that was the writing of the novel. So, But that recovery was incredibly long. And the recovery from from Derek leaving and and the house in Charlevoix and all of that implosion, that was incredibly fast. I think that's for a couple of reasons, because I've found the same is true in my life, that the more things you recover from, the quicker the recovery goes. If you adequately recover, if you really do the work to recover, then the next time it's easier. 
because your system and your emotional life and your energetic system knows what to do. But I also think it's the times we're in that that just energetically we are all being called to rise. And so if you are willing to surrender to the pain and let yourself break open, then I think you are supported more than ever before on an energetic level, on a metaphysical level, if not a practical one to, to rise and, and to heal. I completely agree. The thing that has been the most healing for me through all in all of the aspects of life, whereby I found myself literally undone, the thing that let me heal the best was absolute acceptance yes. of the horrificness that was happening and to allow myself to simply feel it, yeah. like to be, to be sober, not to try and like smoke it away with weed or drink it away with whiskey or watch seven or positive, think it away. Oh, or Jesus, it away don't even get me whatever. started. Oh, singing happy songs and trying to find the silver lining. I won't do it. Damn it. You can't make me do it. So you it doesn't help. Accept it and feel it and yes. honor it and first and not hide it. You can't hide it. No. You can't magically transform it into something that is strengthening before it is actually time for it to become strengthening. You can't fake it. You can't falsify it. You have to go through it and be in the belly of that beast until you literally want to rip the skin off your body because it's so painful. You can't stand it for one more second. But if you get in there and if you live with it, if you can tolerate it, if you can face it down and be with that particular demon in a weird way, then... What has happened to me through the years with depression is like my demon is that when I'm alone with it in the arena, it is now so familiar to me. It's become my friend. I'm not terrified of it. I'm like, hi, hi, darkness. Hi, despair. Hello, anguish. Darkness, my My old friend. Exactly. I mean, it's like that. It's coming back again. (laughs) And I'm not minimizing depression or anguish. It's real and it's paralyzing. It can be. But it can also be weirdly instructive. Yes. And it can and, be enlightening. What I find is by going into the pain, A, it, it doesn't take you over forever, right? It is a wash and an intensity and a tsunami wave rolling over you or through you or however you want to describe it. But then there's the release. And you feel lighter and clearer. And I think that's when you are open to the soothing, I think, and the creative expression and the appreciation. And that is only one. Exactly. That is only one. That's so funny. It's like we're sharing the same brain. Can I read you this thing that I wrote? Because I wanted to share it. but then And I shared it instead. But then you shared it instead. (laughs) I, I, I will share it again because I think it's just so important. So what you just said is what I'm about to say in a slightly different way, which is that when I stare into the abyss and the abyss stares back at me and it has my entire life, I can simply say to it, hello, I I am grateful for the darkness and the light. The darkness informs the light and the light informs the darkness. And I wouldn't trade either my despair or my euphoria because they have both forged me. They've made me able to create the things I create and they've allowed me most importantly to look at every human I meet with eyes of compassion because I see my own struggles in their struggles and I see their struggles in my struggles. And to take it back to the love letters for just a second, when I'm writing and recording these things, and I haven't done one in a year, by the way, which is, I've been remiss, but these moves have really taken it out of me. But 
when I'm writing and recording these love letters that express my pure, unadulterated gratitude for the people who have brought depth and aching beauty and resonance to my life. I am filled with euphoria. My cup runneth over, and I am reminded with every word that the ways in which we love, support, and inspire each other is the purest expression of divinity I have ever known. And you don't get that light without the darkness. Oh, you can't even perceive light without You can't without the darkness. And so I used to be really terrified of my anguish. I mean, when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, and I would go to these places. I would do anything to get out of them. Oh, God, Laura, anything, literally anything. I mean, I could eat like 17 Hostess cupcakes in a row and some whiskey chasers and then you name it, like every bad behavior. I did it because it was so freaking painful. You can't tolerate it, but you can, in fact, tolerate it. Yeah. If you stick with it long enough and if you become familiar. But what you can't tolerate is the fear of tolerating it. Yep. That's what it is. It's, and that's what it took me a long time to understand. You think you can't tolerate the pain, but what you really can't tolerate is the fear that you can't tolerate pain. Shades of meaning, but you can, you absolutely can. And you know this more than anybody. Yes. And you've been holding my hand through a lot of it. And I'm so grateful that you are on the planet and that you're spreading the love and that you're modeling a way to turn darkness into light, but to see the light through the darkness, I would say even more so and to access the light it's always there. Any final words? I would definitely encourage you go to the YouTube channel, Love Letters from Sarah. Leave your own love letter. Yes, please. In this in the um, comments. She's gonna make some social media pages, <laughs> whether she wants to or not. To start my social media empire and to start my global movement, apparently I'm gonna have to get involved in some social media. Evidently, you do, my love. Evidently, I'm gonna have to do that. But in the meantime, if any human on the earth wants to watch a few love letters and get inspired to write their own or to make their own brand of love letter, be it an action or a house that they build and give away for free. Yeah, like, share what you've done, what your love letter has been. Yeah, an act of grace. It really is grace. That's what it is. It absolutely is. Grace and generosity and love and deep gratitude and appreciation for all of humanity. So any way in which that becomes manifest. Just put it on social media. After you go into your pain. Yes. First, <laughs> first, you have to befriend your pain. You have to be real familiar and real comfortable with your anguish. You just got to like slip the grace and, comes. And then the grace and the goldenness and the euphoria and the creation can come. But only, only after you stepped into it and torn the skin off your body. Stop saying that. It's not that bad. <laughs> The skin's still there. I promise. Still there. Still there. We'll call it, we'll call it a, a, a sloughing of dead skin. Yes, yeah, a sloughing so of dead skin. A sloughing of dead skin so that we can. With a very harsh loofah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you, my. Thank you for joining. And let us know what your thoughts are. What were you going to say? You were about to say something. Sorry. Let me say that again. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all that you've been doing and all that you are, my love. We really appreciate it. Love letters. I love you, lady. And I'm so profoundly grateful to have had this time with you. And just for your love and support, it, it means the absolute world to me. The absolute world.
Tempest.